0: Those of you who do remember my first talk might remember that I was a blonde when I first spoke here. Um, I I, uh, used to bleach my hair, uh, but uh, a few years ago I stopped uh, on the, uh, looking at the the advice of Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen. Uh, How how many of you are familiar with Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen? Oh, that's great. Oh, all the sisters, yes, that's wonderful. Um, And so so you know that Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen was a man of great wit, and one of his witticisms was that a blonde dies by her own hand. <laughs> Uh-oh. So I now come to you au naturel, uh, as, it, as it were. And I, I'd, I'd like to begin talking about tonight's topic with a story of something that happened to me One year ago this week, I was in West Lafayette, Indiana. Uh, Anyone from Indiana here? Um, No, we're all, uh, well, many of us are East Coasters. Uh, Well, I was there on a speaking tour, and thankfully for me, being a New Jersey girl, I found a New Jersey-style diner in Indiana. That was very important. Uh, And I had breakfast uh, there, and when I was paying for my breakfast, I noticed that the cashier had a tattoo on her arm that had words on it and the image of a rose. Uh, And I I asked her what the words were on her tattoo because uh, I couldn't uh, quite read them uh, from from the angle uh, where I was standing. Uh, And the cashier explained to me that uh, it said, Jesus wants the rose. And I said, that's beautiful. What does that mean to you? And she explained that it was a line from a sermon she had heard from an evangelical pastor. Uh, The pastor was telling a story about a time when he was in college and heard a preacher talk about sexual purity. And this preacher was being very blunt and speaking about how engaging in sexual activity outside of marriage uh, could lead to disease and so on. The preacher held out a rose and passed it to the large audience that was assembled and told them to touch it, smell it, and so on. Then when the rose was handed back to him, he said, now who would want this rose? implication that it was supposed to be some kind of analogy for a person who had engaged in premarital sex. It was a very harsh message. So the cashier told me the pastor who had heard that sermon told his flock that the answer is Jesus wants the rose. Our Lord suffered and died For all of us who have suffered in any way, whether we've suffered from the sins of others that were committed against us or whether we've suffered from the effects of our own sins, Jesus has taken away all, he's taken all suffering and all sin upon himself and he has claimed it for himself. Jesus wants the rose. Amen? Amen. Amen. Yes. Now, when I heard the cashier tell that story, I found it, as I'm I'm sure many of you do, very beautiful. I love the idea that Jesus wants the rose. And in a few minutes, I'll tell you uh, how I have found it to be true in in my own life. But since hearing that story, I've done some reading online And I've found that there are some people who object to that message. These these critics object to hearing that Jesus wants the rose because they say that even if it's meant in a loving way, it still perpetuates a wrong idea. Namely, they say that the image of a damaged rose only serves to perpetuate the myth that a person who has willingly engaged in sex outside of marriage somehow has less dignity than a person who has retained his or her virginity. Now, I would say it's worth pausing for a moment to consider what the critics are saying because I believe that the point that they make is important, it deserves to be heard. And I believe that, at least in one sense, One of the great saints and doctors of the church, St. Augustine, would agree with them because Augustine was very critical of people of his time who conflated personal dignity with physical virginity. Why did Augustine care about that issue? Well, as you may know, Augustine was a convert to Christianity from paganism, and before his conversion, he was not chaste. I'm not telling any secret, I'm not speaking out of church, so to speak, that uh, Augustine, in his confessions, made this public knowledge. Uh, in fact, the main thing that kept Augustine from opening his heart to faith was the knowledge that living as a Christian meant that he would have to give up having sexual relations outside of marriage. He, Augustine actually used to pray, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> Once Augustine became a Christian and began to instruct others in the faith, He never forgot where he came from. When he wrote about chastity, and he did so often, he understood that human sexuality is not just a matter of the body. It concerns the whole person, mind, body, and spirit. In particular, Augustine made some distinctions with respect to virginity that were remarkably insightful for his time, and I believe they still have meaning for us today. Here are what I believe are Augustine's two most important distinctions concerning virginity. Number one, Augustine was very emphatic in saying that virginity is a matter of the will. If there were a person who had never willingly engaged in sexual contact, but had been raped, Augustine would say that that person was still a virgin. In fact, he insists that sexual abuse of any kind can never take away a person's purity. I'll repeat that, sexual abuse of any kind can never take away a person's purity, and we have this from Augustine, one of the doctors of the Church. It was, it was later uh, it confirmed by Saint Thomas Aquinas. Even the Church's canon law says says this in the uh, in in the uh, notes uh, for uh, the rite of consecrated virginity. Uh, it says that uh, that a woman who has uh, who has lost her physical virginity against her her will can still be a consecrated virgin. So uh, moreover, um, Augustine uh, said said that uh, sexual abuse of any kind can never take away a person's purity and he said that anyone who claims otherwise is crazy. He really, he really said, uh, said this. These are his exact words in City of God, translated from the Latin. What sane man can suppose that if his body be seized and forcibly made use of to satisfy the lust of another, he thereby loses his purity? Now, the second distinction that I want to highlight from Augustine is that in his writings on virginity, he makes the point that there are some virgins who are not really virgins. And by that, he means that virginity is not simply about what a person wills to do with his or her body. There is also spiritual virginity. Spiritual virginity, or better, spiritual chastity, is the virtue by which the human soul seeks to experience joy only in God and in the things that God has established. In other words, we practice spiritual chastity when we love God above all things and when we seek to order our life so that we may please God. Now, Augustine would be the first to say that what we choose to do or not do with our body is important, but he emphasizes that it's not enough just to go through the motions, a virgin who is a virgin only in body and not in his or her mind or spirit is therefore, on Augustine's account, not a true virgin. If we seek to serve God, we can't just go through the motions. We we have to serve God first with our heart. So all that is good, but where does it leave those of us who want to experience the joy of spiritual virginity, but who, for whatever reason, struggle to practice the virtue of chastity. I wrote my book, The Thrill of the Chaste, to answer that question. Uh, You see, I'm a convert from Judaism, and when I was growing up, although my parents tried their best to teach me about right and wrong, They didn't teach me what chastity was or why it was important. Then when I was 17 and began to live on my own as a student at New York University, there was nothing in the college atmosphere there that encouraged me to bother learning about chastity. All I knew was that I wanted love and I had woundedness in my background. Uh, As a child, I suffered sexual abuse. Uh, In fact, I've gone on to write uh, two books, My Peace I Give You and Remembering God's Mercy on spiritual healing from abuse. And so, as as a college student, in my woundedness, I believed that I wasn't valuable for who I was. I wanted to be married, But I couldn't believe that any man would want to marry me if he hadn't first experienced me sexually. So I was seeking love in things that were not love. And I was very unhappy, but did not know of any other way to gain the love I wanted. When I was 31, I experienced for the first time the love of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I was baptized in a Protestant church. Five years later, I discovered the truth of the Catholic faith, and I entered into full communion with the Catholic church. Praise God. As a new Christian, I knew that I had to live chastely, but I didn't really know what chastity was. So I went to the bookstore to look for books on chastity. And the only books I could find were these Protestant books on sexual purity. Uh, Now, um, the word purity in the Protestant world uh, and sometimes in the Catholic world as well is taken in this very narrow view that distinguishes between the pure and the impure in such a way that it leaves out room for the love of Christ, the love that redeems and renews us. So I remember in these kind of purity manuals, there was, uh, there was uh, this idea in these Protestant books on abstinence uh, that uh, if somebody had fallen, as they put it, and had had uh, sex- sexual relations outside of marriage, they would say, well, if you've fallen, you can have secondary virginity. Um, Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word secondary virginity, all it sounds like is like second best. It it sounds like a used car or something, you know, only driven every other Sunday by a little old lady in Pasadena who used it to go to church and back. You know, it, it doesn't sound... Like anything appealing, this concept of secondary virginity uh, still puts a division between those pure, untouchable people who are who are virgins and and, and you know the, with the assumption being that the virgins are all the Virgin Mary and have never sinned and uh, and those uh, others who have fallen um, understand i 'm not knocking purity at all what i 'm knocking is is this idea that sexual purity is assumed to be total sinlessness. That's an idea that, as as you heard, uh, Augustine really went against. Augustine (laughs) kept urging those who were virgins to have humility. Uh, So thankfully, I was able to learn about chastity from a friend who was Catholic who gave me a book that talked about John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Uh, and it was partly through that that I was drawn into the Catholic faith because I learned about what chastity really is. I learned that whereas I had been told from reading these books and from the whole kind of Protestant atmosphere that chastity was really just abstinence, that it was just, you know, say no, when I read what the church teaches about chastity, what, what you can find in the Catechism, if you look up chastity in the Catechism, is that chastity is a virtue, and virtues are not defined as negative. Virtues are always defined as being something positive. Uh, you know, we can actually think of chastity, of the desire to, and the will to live chastely, as a yes, in the way that we think of marriage vows as a yes. Normally, when we think of a marriage vow, we think of, I do. We don't think of, I don't. Uh, But in fact, a marriage vow is effectively saying, I don't take any other woman or any other man than this person. So when you say yes to a spouse, uh, you're saying no to every other person in the world except that spouse. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, that's true, in fact, but that's not how we think of marriage. We only think of it in terms of the yes. It's defined by the, by the yes. And uh, likewise, um, just as marriage is a yes to love, chastity as a virtue is is in in a, in a distinctive but very real way uh, a, a yes? Um, chastity is not defined by being a no to sex outside of marriage. There is something that's that is a no to sex outside of marriage, or or, or a no to to uh, to any sex. That's continence. Uh, but 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 um, chastity is defined by being a yes to love, a yes to God. Uh, so when I wrote The Thrill of the Chaste, I wanted to express what this yes to love, that is chastity, looks like how it, and, and how it's distinguished from other types of yeses in our life. And if I had to put the message in a couple of sentences, uh, I would say that chastity is best expressed in this definition of chastity that comes from my friend Porik Meyer, who at the time he shared this definition with me was a doctoral student in philosophy at Catholic University. And he told me that chastity is the virtue that enables us to love fully and completely in every relationship in the manner that's appropriate to the relationship. So, what does that mean? Well, in the marital relationship, it's appropriate to, to you know, at certain times, engage in sexual union with one's spouse. So, in fact, sexual union is part of loving fully and appropriately in marriage. Therefore, and the Catechism talks about, about this, chastity is... Chastity in marriage includes the marital act, sexual union. Uh, but just as, uh, but if chastity is lo- is a, is really about loving fully and completely, then just as in a single relationship, in a si- in a single person's relationships, chastity is not simply about the no of not having sex. Likewise, in the relationship of marriage, marital chastity is about more than just having sexual union with your spouse. Marital chastity is about always striving to love more, to give more of yourself from your heart. So it's about being faithful. It's about making a sincere gift of self. Pope Paul VI wrote in Humane Vitae, that marital chastity is about loving freely, freely meek, meaning making a free choice to love, not being pressured. He also said marital chastity is about loving totally. That refers to the gifts of, of self, uh, nothing held back. And he said that it's about loving faithfully and fruitfully, being open to life. So if we go back to this definition that chastity is the virtue that enables us to love fully and completely in every relationship, in the manner that's appropriate to the relationship, what then is single chastity? Uh, Well, for me, I think of single chastity in terms of how can I love fully according to my relationship with this particular person, whoever the person may be, Uh, So chastity for me comes down to, how can I love more fully in the appropriate way as a daughter, as a sister, or as a friend? What is the most appropriate way to show love to this stranger, or or to the barista who serves me coffee at Starbucks? I know that that some of you who are able to drive now are enjoying your Starbucks trips. Well, I bet you never thought of Starbucks as an opportunity to practice chastity, but it actually it actually is because it's about it's about the gift of self and being Christ for the other person in love in the appropriate way. Now, uh, now you know for me understanding that uh, really. It uh, takes Chastity out of this realm of just saying no to sets, and it brings it into the realm of something that's exciting, something that invites me to grow and to live more fully as a human being. Uh, now, um, I believe, do I have about, te- about ten, more, 10 more minutes? Is that enough time? I-, I wanted to make sure I'm not going over. Yes. About 10 minutes. Okay, great. So I can tell you um, that One of the reasons why I rewrote The Thrill of the Chaste is that uh, in the first edition of The Thrill of the Chaste, uh, which I wrote as a Protestant, I was really just thinking of chastity as something that I was living in a single way until I got married, and then of course I'd live marital chastity, but I was thinking in terms of that there's this light at the end of the tunnel because I was dealing with the loneliness of being a single woman and thinking, well, one day I'll get married and then I won't have to worry about, about this, this, this loneliness. Can I hear from all the married people in the, in the audience? Once you're married, you never have to worry about loneliness ever, ever. <laughs> I don't hear any amens. <laughs> well, well, this is what I began to learn, as, even though I've never been, been married. Uh, so I'd like to think that since writing that first edition of The Thrill of the Chaste, uh, which I, I wrote in 2005, I'd like to think that I've matured in, in two ways. First of all, I've learned that marriage can't be thought of as a cure for loneliness. Um, you know, I hate to say, it, to say this, but sometimes, you, know, you hear from some married people that when you're married, that's when your loneliness begins. Because if you're thinking that this person will complete me, then you're putting into a finite person hopes that can only be answered by something infinite, by the love of God, really, If we think of chastity as a gift of self, then we can think of unmarried chastity and married chastity as two variations of the gift of self. As a single person, you're giving love directly to God and also indirectly to God through uh, love of neighbor. As a married person, you're still giving love to God, but you're giving that gift to, to God first and foremost through your spouse. Now uh, my friend Steve Kellmeyer has a, a very interesting perspective on this, which I think is completely in tune with, with the Bible, with the catechism, with what our tradition teaches us. Uh, Steve says that what this means is that however he behaves towards his spouse on a given day, he is really behaving that way to God. Now that's profound. I said this in one of the classes I teach at Holy Apostles, and afterwards uh, this um, married woman in the class was like, why don't they teach us this in pre-Cana? Everyone should hear this. Uh, But it's it's true. Uh, Steve means that that if he's impatient with his spouse in the morning, he's really being impatient with Jesus uh, or with the Holy Spirit, because the marriage is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so, um, for the for, so that's how we think of marriage as being a gift of self. And for the single person, as I said, it's still a gift of self to to live uh, single chastity, but it's to God first, and then mediated through neighbor. Uh, So that was one thing that I learned since writing the original Thrill of the Chaste, that marriage is not the cure for loneliness. You have to be looking for your ultimate fulfillment, your ultimate end in God, regardless of uh, what state of life you're called to. Uh, The satisfaction that you're seeking can only be be, uh, found in God. And the second thing that I learned since writing the original Thrill of the Chaste, and this is something that I also talk about in the Catholic edition, is that I had had the wrong idea that because I had suffered abuse, which I now know was not my fault, nothing I should feel guilty about, but, because, but I also thought that because I had I, been unchaste, I thought, well, God couldn't possibly want me in a celibate vocation, because I thought the only people that God wants in celibate vocations are people who have never been touched by sin, never been touched by their own um, sexual sin, never been touched by others' uh, sexual sin in particular. That was what I, what I thought. Uh, but through living as a Catholic and uh, receiving uh, the sac the sacraments um, actually, uh, particularly since I started going to uh, to daily mass and confessing uh, regularly, what I discovered was that uh, the thought started to enter my mind that perhaps God had really wanted me for Himself all along, and that. Uh, the evils that had taken place in my life, uh, the evils of abuse, the evils of my own sins, certainly God never positively willed those uh, evils. Um, they were done by human beings' bad choices, um, or by my own b- bad choices. But what I started to t- to learn, and the writings of Fulton Sheen were actually very important to me in this, uh, a book of his called Peace of Soul, I started to learn that um, that God, in Jesus Christ on the cross, taking all this evil and sin upon Himself, or you know, taking the, the effects of sin upon him, Himself and, and the guilt of sin, I started to to realize that uh, that God was greater than all the evils that had ever been committed against me, and He was greater than all the evil that I had uh, that I had ever committed uh, for which I repent, and that. He could have chosen the other way of never letting me be sinned against sexually or sin sexually, but for reasons known only to him, which, which, um, which you know, Lord, Lord willing, I might, uh, you know, f- find out in the next life. I hope to get to heaven. I'm not positive I'll have the, all the answers in heaven, but in any case, um, for whatever for whatever reason. This is the way that he wanted me to come to him. This is how he wanted me to become his, so I've made uh, a a consecration Oops, wrong ring. this is my doctoral ring. this is my consecration ring. So I've made a dedication rather of my of my celibacy uh, to Jesus' sacred heart through Mary's miraculous heart, and I feel called to live the mystery of spiritual motherhood in the world, and that is how I make my gift of self. Uh, So, uh, to conclude, uh, I want to go back to where we started since this this talk is called Chastity and the Mystical Rose. Can we really say, uh, should we say, that Jesus wants the rose? Well, yes, we can, and I think we can say it in a way that that um, Pro- Protestant pastor who was telling the story uh, hasn't uh, yet dreamed of. We can hope and pray that he and all Protestants understand this uh, one day. But um, the rose is humanity. The rose is, is our humanity, our human nature, not just the human nature in general, but human nature as lived in me and and you and you and you and every human human being, and and uh, if we think of the rose as something that's that's damaged, uh, well, it's true that that our fallen humanity, uh, uh, every human person who's been born into original sin, uh, is damaged uh, by by that, and there there are. Our, Certain wounds which, um, even though baptism erases the original sin, the, the effects of original sin, uh, particularly uh, concupiscence, well, the, uh, temptations, the temptations to seek our, our own above others uh, and above uh, God's will, that, won't be, that wound won't be healed until the next life. But Jesus wants that rose. But there's another rose, and this is what I hope... Uh, the Protestants and all who are not uh, living the Catholic faith uh, understand one day because it's such a beautiful truth of our faith that everyone needs to know. There's another rose. Um, God, as part of his divine plan, decided to create a rose that would be like all of us, uh, redeemed by Jesus. But that this rose would be redeemed, so that it would never experience brokenness. It would be redeemed before it was even created, uh, so so that it would be like a like like the first rose ever ever created, and and that's Mary, the the new Eve, who's called the mystical rose, uh, a name that comes from Song of Songs, which speaks of. The Rose of Sharon. We've come to understand in the Church Mary as that as that rose, and Mary is is the perfect rose, and she is our she is our mother, and and so uh, she's the mother uh, not only of, of, of Jesus but of all of us of Jesus' body. And as Saint Maximilian Colby says so beautifully, uh, when we uh, approach Jesus through Mary. Uh, Mary adds to our prayers her own prayer arising from a pure heart so that, uh, so that Jesus uh, can accept our, our, our prayers and accept us, not as though we were some damaged rose, but as though we were a perfect rose. And the the thought I'd like to leave you with is that, you know, I spoke earlier about uh, Protestants having this image of people who are, you know, sexually pure being kind of, you know, untouchable. One can get that image from reading Protestant purity literature. And I want to say about Mary that even though Mary is completely pure of all sin, Mary is not untouchable. Mary is. Is more approachable than than our own uh, than our own dear dear mothers and grandmothers uh, could could be, uh, and that's because of her union with with the Holy uh, Spirit. That that uh, through her yes to the Holy uh, Spirit, she is with the Trinity. And so whenever we we have the Trinity, we have Marys love with us and more than that um, Mary is not someone who's never been touched. We know uh, from Lu- from Luke that uh, a sword went through Mary's heart. Uh, in fact, we, we think of her as having suffered seven swords uh, in her heart, the seven uh, sorrows, which is a devotion I, I recommend. Uh, at the English College in Valladolid, Spain, uh, which is a, sem- a, 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 a seminary. Uh, when the uh, English invaded Valladolid, uh, they went to the English college and they took, this, this was back in, um, I guess the, uh, I don't know which century it was. Um, uh, a historian here can tell me, but I'm guessing it was the 1500s or the 1600s. Anyway, the English Protestants took this statue of Mary at the English college, and they smashed it. And then afterwards, the townspeople and those at the English college put it back together. And it's still there. You can see it. But there, it's missing pieces, including some pieces from the face. And it looks like this kind of you know, patchwork. It's, all, it's a statue that's just covered with cracks. Well, there's a devotion to Mary in that image, in that statue, in Valladolid. And the name under which they're devoted to her is La Vulnerata. La Vulnerata, the wounded woman. So, uh, so Mary, even though she is the perfect rose, she knows in the deepest recesses of her heart what it's like to be the the wounded, broken rose who's been affected by uh, by uh, by uh, the effects of sin and the way that sin uh, harms. Uh, so, uh, so I, I invite I invite you all to 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 think of her and, and call upon her in that in that way. So, why don't we end uh, with a with a hail Mary uh, for all for all those who are seeking uh, <coughs> healing. Uh, sexually or healing from uh, from the uh, effects of, of abortion, men and women. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Thank you.